a suitably uh, epic opening and, and introduction for what we're doing today. So thank you everybody for coming along to the Lakes International Comic Art Festival. Uh, it's great to have you here with us. Uh, Jock and I are going to have a bit of a discussion this morning about his career and his work and uh, well, hopefully sort of take some interesting little side trips and, and steps along the way. For those who are curious, that epic music that you just heard is actually Cosmic Rays, which is Charlie Adlard's band, so, you know, it's, uh, it's not just about zombies. You know. <laughs> but uh, today is about Jock, and I've really been looking forward to this. We were meant to do this last year, and then somewhere else, and finally this is, this is our moment to have a discussion at last. Thanks for coming, everyone, by the way. It's still morning, I think, so I really appreciate it. You're coming out, so thank you. Yeah. <coughs> Do we have any art on the screen? Something yeah. Something like ah. This is interesting. Ah, here we go. go. There we go. Yes, I was just going to play in the background. So, I wanted to sort of start at the beginning as, as such with you and, and talk about the early years. Like, what did comics mean to you growing up? Was it always something that was an interest to you? Um, I didn't really ha- uh, read comics when I was a kid, actually. It was, I had a couple of Superman animals mm. that I used to pore over, Kurt Swan's drawings of Superman, because I really liked drawing, I was really into drawing, and, but I didn't really collect uh, superhero comics or anything like that when I was a kid. It wasn't until I, I picked up 2018 when I was about 13, 14, that um, by that point I was you know, really into drawing, and, and then I saw that and I thought, this is what I now want to do, this, you know, I think it's quite a common story for a lot of people of my generation. That 2008 kind of, you know, blew the back of my head off, and I sort of that was it. That's, that's what I wanted to do from then on in, basically. Mm. So you were obviously drawing a lot, as you said, but comics weren't the the impetus for that. They weren't the inspiration. What kind of art were you wanting to do? What what were you originally planning? Uh, my eldest brother just last week sent me a drawing of Adam Ant in his in his, his uh, in one of his railway books that uh, is maybe one of the earliest surviving drawings of mine. Um, uh, don't think I wanted to make a career of drawing at Adam and the Ants, but that, that's what I was drawing when I was a kid. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, I like I like the movies. I like to kind of you know, you know, I don't know. Pretty pretty standard stuff I think for people my age my first painting was a Bruce Lee drop kicking a fireball towards a wizard you know when I was a young teenager you know normal normal things um, is that normal? I don't know <laughs> does that still exist like this? yeah I found it around there yeah I keep it so I'm going to take a picture of it yeah it's ridiculous it's so, so badly done that, so we had like an activities week at school and um, I chose art and it was the first time I got to oil paintings and my first oil painting is a Bruce Lee side kicking at fireball mm. into a wizard um, and it's it's like I sort of started with his legs and I ran out of space so so like the side of the canvas chops like you only see like his, his chin you know you don't, you don't see his hair because, of, because it's so terrible but it's quite funny to, to, to look back and, and see it there so you were already working in a, a variety of media to, to start off with then you, you were sort of approaching art in various ways because you weren't locked to a particular form at that time yeah, um, yeah, and, and as, as you know, I went through school, I was I was I stuck with art. I went to uh, did sixth form. I did art and technical drawing as well, which I was very bad at. But, uh, but that's all I did was that and art, so it was you know, just drawing. And then I did a year at art college. Um, um, yeah, I was, you know, it's just as you grow older and, and you sort of you think about kind of what you actually want to apply what you do. You know, and uh, I went through a long time of just wanting to paint portraits and, you know, be a painter, but um, uh, comics kept kind of drawing me back somehow, and I kept, you know, playing around with them, and, um, um, but I was genuinely painting, and, uh, you know, and, and, and then when Andy Diggle phoned me up and asked if I could do 10 pages of black and white Judge Dredd in a month, I said, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I've never been out of work since when comics and that's what I've been doing since then yeah was that like an amazing moment for you having read 2000 AD and that been the thing where you were going I'd, I'd like to do this and then suddenly going do you want to draw Judge Dredd it was, it was definitely yeah he's sort of still my favourite he, he's the one that I'm nostalgic about growing up and you know I still have 
all the time books that I still look at, you know, because it's kind of like mm-hmm. eased my the thing that as a kid I, I loved. Um, so to have that as my first work was was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So <laughs> did you already know Andy at that stage or is that? Um, we had we had met, so um, I've been going to comic conventions since about um, ninety five, I think, and this was around ninety nine, and I kept getting rejected basically, but I'd still carry on working, build my portfolio, get on a train or whatever to to a comic convention in London or Glasgow, and show my work again to editors. And I'd done a little bit of work for. Uh, Wizards of the Coast by this point, but I still wanted to, to draw comics and I showed it to Andy Diggle at, mm-hmm. yeah, 99 maybe in um, London. And he liked it, he said, I really like it, but not for 2000 AD. But by this point, I was I was kind of, I wasn't let it go, so I kind of stuck at it really. And I kind of said, Well, you know, what can I do to sort of, you know, what, what do you want, what would you prefer to see? Mm-hmm. And he sent me a, a sample dread script and he since said that there was just one one shot of Dredd's chin and the way that I drew it, he said that, that, that was just the, the image that, um, that kind of said maybe this, this, this guy's got something. And I got mm-hmm. to work on the film as well, which was like another huge deal for me, really, because yes. I think yeah, essentially my favourite character. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. pretty, pretty cool. I, I think that's something that we'll get to talking about, because obviously there's, there's a lot of film stuff that you do these days. So, with you and Andy starting to work together, did that partnership click immediately because you've done quite a bit together yeah he um, he was an editor at 2008 but he didn't really want to be after a couple of years he was feeling quite disillusioned I think and he wanted to write and he they commissioned Frank Miller to do a cover for um, for the 10th anniversary issue of Judge Dread magazine and Frank needed more money for the cover so they and he used a budget for a, a story, a script, mm-hmm. to add on to the cover budgets they could afford to pay Frank, and he wrote a, a story called Lenny Zero for free um, for the for the for the issue, and he asked me to draw it, and it seemed to go down really well with people, um, and uh, we did two more Lenny Zeros, and then when we talked to DC about doing the losers, um, well, in fact, Andy was talked to DC about doing the losers. Uh, Will Dennis, the editor there, had seen Lenny Zero, and so he, so he said, "Well, what about that guy that you worked with? That, that was good, and, you know." And that's kind of, you know, we did the, lo- the losers, and we did uh, Green Arrow Year One as well, and Snapshot. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel kind of uh, indebted to Frank Miller for your comics career there? I've just done the Dark Knight Three cover. Funny enough, so that's like a full circle. <laughs> I know. I would, yeah. Uh, I, got, I got a nice note from Frank actually about that cover because I didn't really want to send the cover in last week. Um, it was during New York Comic Con, and, and I sent it to my editor, who was backstage. And it was, I sent the cover in just as they were doing the Dark Knight Three panel at New York, and Mark, my editor, showed it to uh, Frank when he when he got off stage. And Frank, there was a nice note for Frank about that cover. So I guess I do, yeah. You know, people think a lot of things about Frank Miller, but I, I still think he's you know, pretty amazing for what he's achieved. Mm. What was he an influence on your work? Or, or yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, I think the Dark Knight Returns and Year One are still, you know, as good as Batman gets. Really, um, you know, I don't always love what he does, but again, I'd, I'd so much rather see someone trying something different and interesting and personal and unique than, than a kind of you know generic superhero or glossy piece of work. You know, it's just that's just you know, it's just no no comparison to me. So when people kind of you know down on him, I don't, I don't really, I understand it, but I don't, I don't really. Just like I said, I'd still rather see someone, you know, do that than, than, than be, you know, generic and middle of the road. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. So that 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 kind of his uh, approach to things has definitely influenced my approach. You know, it's just take some chances and try some different things. And every every time I've done that, that's the that's the rewarding thing. The amazing thing really is is that, you know, if you do take those chances, they're the things that sometimes feel, you know the most risky in a way because mm-hmm. you don't know how they're going to be received but literally every time I've had that feeling that's the stuff that people like that's the stuff that people respond to when I was doing a, we do a horror book called Witches with writer Scott Snyder and he's uh, it's quite a personal story in lots of ways for him and, and he would phone me and say you know is this is this too much is this is this you know have I gone too far with this with this with this you know sequence and there were always the sequences that I felt were the most personal and the most honest and the, yeah. the rawest, you know, and, and 
I believe that that's what people actually kind of respond to, really, you know, and, and, and I said, no, honestly, to me, they're the best bits, and, you know, it's, it's funny how sometimes, you know, it's a cliche, but if you do sort of jump off the cliff, you know, that you kind of swim, <laughs> you know. How do you approach that kind of thing then? Like, you're getting this scene from Scott. I mean, you, you would have with different writers where you just get this feeling that this is very personal, they're taking risks, they're doing something. That must be an incredible sort of... Not weight, isn't it? But a responsibility on you. How do you approach this to give it what it needs to, to back up what they've done? Um, ju- uh, just by sort of being honest with it, you know, having an honest reaction and drawing that, you know. Mm. Um, I think I'm quite sort of instinctual in the way that I draw and the way that I lay things out and the way that I tell a story or whatever. You know, I, I don't overthink it. And when I have time to overthink it, I think things just get in the way. And I'm, I'm much better when I'm just, you know, like if I'm laying out a script, I'll do it very, very quickly whilst I'm reading the script. So I'm yeah. laying out the pages roughly about the same speed that you'll read the comic to try mm-hmm. and get a rhythm and get a sense of how to best, you know, handle sequences and things, you know, so, um, um, you know, but yeah, just, just uh, you know, be honest with how you approach it, and I think then you, you, you'd, you'll do, do it justice, I hope. Yeah. You started mentioning your process there, which is it's kind of interesting to hear, so you're essentially reading the script, trying to um, get the pacing of the comic, how, how it would be when someone's actually reading an issue, mm-hmm. And, and laying it out accordingly, how tight do you stick to them? Like, is it really you can just picture it immediately and instantly in your head? It's Again, normally I find that the, the stuff you do essentially is the stuff that's that's actually kind of got something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, you know, there's norm, there's always a few storytelling problems that you have to kind of figure out and work out, you know, but um, which might take a little bit more kind of, you know, sort of. You know, rearranging the puzzle kind of thing to make the page work but um, uh, no I tend to find I, I try it's the same I, I barely pencil I, I, I like to draw in ink you know and you know I, I, that's just what suits me that's just my approach you know I, I prefer a more direct kind of line or a more direct sort of image and you know that's kind of how I approach it really How do you balance telling the story and, and the storytelling aspect with actually making sure that each page is kind of its own work of art, you know, even down to making sure that the page turn is, is there and, and uh, just that the, the page can stand alone and yet propels you through. Um, well, I don't think sequential pages should be works of art, personally. I think this, the sequential pages, you know, the story pages are there to serve as the scripts, so I don't think about that at all. You know, I try and draw them nicely. You know, I try and make them because you know, but um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd sort of disagree with that, really. I, you know, I sort of I feel like you're, you know, um, there can be individual pages that are nice, sure, but I think what you're actually should be focusing on is, is just the, the the whole the whole thing, you know. Mm. So, which is is the whole book? It's not one page that you look at and go, "Oh, well, check that out. That's, that's gorgeous." Kind of thing. You know, yeah. it's the whole. What, what is the whole story as a kind of, you know, like a movie or something like that, well, what sense do you get from just the the whole thing, you know? And so um, when I'm drawing pages, I just try and service the script. But, but, you know, but within that, that involves hopefully having beautiful moments and strong moments and bold moments and tender moments and all those things that, that maybe, you know, make up kind of, you know, something that's... that's uh, people respond to, you know, so I, was, I, was, I really don't want to say work of art when I'm talking about my own pages, um, but you know, you, you, you know, that's sort of all in there, but it's, uh, to me, you've just got to tell the story, mm. 100%, as well as you can. What, how do you balance that out then with, like, you do a lot of cover work these days, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about even just this, you know, Dark Knight 3 cover you've just done. And so in approaching that, it's all about capturing this, this one image and, and getting it spot on. Yeah. Like, last night we were in here and we had uh, Steve Bell, who's the political cartoonist, giving a presentation. And often his stuff is all about getting that one image that, that sums up everything. It's, how do you come at that? Um, yeah, it's a completely different... Um, 
it's just a different discipline, you know. Yeah. I love drawing covers. I, I, I love trying to boil things down to a single image. Um, but there's also those guys who, who I love their, their interior work, but some of them think their covers are, uh, you know, not particularly interesting or, you know, not, not being, not naming names. Um, <laughs> and vice versa, you know, amazing cover artists that when I see sort of story pages, they're kind of, you know, they're not, not for me kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it's just a different thing, trying to boil down the essence of a... I really like trying to, yeah, have a... like a whole story or a film, you know, a film poster or something and, and try and sum up what that is in one image that I find that really challenging. Mm. And it's hard as well, you know, it's really it's really tough to do well, I think. Um, so when you do hit on something, it's... it's um, yeah, you just sort of cling on to it and that's, you know, that's... You know, there, I think there is a sort of... There's a point you can reach when you put together an image where you know that you're either doing something with it or you're not. You know, it's either an illustration, a nice drawing, like, or it's an idea and it's a concept. And I think a good cover, a good poster should be a concept. You know, I mean, that's a bit on the nose, but that's you know, that's obviously images from the film creating the skull. You know, it's yeah. like it's not exactly the most original concept, but but it's it's a, it's a it's a it's an idea. Yeah, you know, it's not just an illustration of robots flying through the sky which, which is not so much of a concept that one <laughs> um, you know or that or Pan's Labyrinth that's the girl you know silhouetted made up of the food in the film you know it's kind of I try and find a visual trick or a visual hook that will that, that you can immediately kind of grasp that makes the image kind of more interesting and draw you in with, with a cover you know and you just don't do that with sequential work mm. it's a completely different thing do you like preference one over the other do you like I, I think you sort of said you prefer doing covers, but you know, do you find that definitely more engaging and sequentials less so? Or? It's just different, you know. I, comics are hard work. Drawing pages is just hard work. So you know, covers or posters, you can kind of take your foot off the pedal a little bit. Um, but then when I'm just doing single images, I miss telling a story because there's something unique happens when you read a comic and you know you follow a comic through. You know that you, you know you don't you don't get the same reward drawing, drawing a cover as you do knowing like I was t- t- saying about when you've got just a whole thing a whole story that something mm-hmm. you can give to someone and that it means so much more than just one of your drawings or one of your pages it's, it's the entire thing and that's that's, a, that's, that's really rewarding yeah. mm, I, I guess yeah it's d- different reward <coughs> for each of them yeah exactly <coughs> so you were mentioning before about Will Dennis putting you with Andy Diggle for doing The Losers was that when you broke the US market essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Was the short answer. Yeah. Yeah, no the losers. I mean, um yeah, they took a real chance really going me and Andy who were two two total unknowns. Yeah, we'd done one for two thousand AD. But uh, Dean Vertigo gave us our own series, you know, and um, they definitely took a chance but and both me and Andy were you know, we'd never done monkey books before but we were both very kinda I think determined and hungry, you know, to the thing. So we just gave it our best shot. Like I was saying, you know, it's kind of like just, you just, you just dive in and do the best you can. And, and luckily, the people seem to like the series, and you know, they made a film out of it. So that was good for DC, and, and it was you know, pretty amazing. It's still kind of my favourite thing I've done because it sort of really? feels like, you know, there's lots. If I look back at it, I cringe, you know, about a lot of it. But there's just something about it. Just that time, and that you know, that that, that is really kind of memorable for me. I think. Was it just about the, you know, this this is where I'm I'm making it, and and those feelings, or was it about the investment that you had and, and actually creating stuff as opposed to working with things that already existed? Um, yeah, yeah. The fact that it was our own thing was mm-hmm. definitely comes into it, but um, I think it's no, I think it's more just. Um, being given an opportunity, knowing that if you get it wrong or, or people aren't interested, the phone's probably not going to ring again, and you know, and sort of, my life would be very different, I guess, you know. So it's kind of rewarding that it's kind of, it was our first thing, and you know, and here we are. You know. mm. And what was it like at the time when suddenly the losers did get picked up for a film, you know? And I mean, it was massively exciting, you know. Yeah. It, it was, it was. I can't deny it, you know. Um, it's different to the comic, you know. Um, the comic will always be the comic, but the film felt like an exciting kind of possibility. Um, uh, but I've since learned just to let that stuff be whatever it's going to be, because because of the first time that was happening, 
I, you know, I, I think we both thought, it, or we, we were both hoping it was going to be amazing. You know, and I don't know if there's any fans of the Losers films. I think I think it's fine, but um, you know, I, yeah, oh, thank you. Right. <laughs> you know, it's enjoyable. It's funny, and the comic, the cast is amazing. There's lots of good stuff about it, but there was something fundamental that I realised: the film is 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 sort of nothing to do with us. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's its own entity. And suddenly, all those kind of horror stories you hear of other creators, kind of you know, making the most extreme of me, Alan Moore, you know, sort of wanting nothing to do with the films. I'm not like that at all. But I just um, like Witches has been picked up for a film, and, and um, which I'm really excited about, and, and it's got uh, producers on it, so we're definitely going to yeah. have a handle in it. But there's something. Um, it's not the same as the comic, and I think yeah. because the Losers was the first thing, I somehow thought that it was going to be one big happy family of things and of course the film is the film and the comic is the comic and they're different and, and that's fine you know? mm. I, in realising that and going through the experience with the losers does it kind of free you up now because you go well okay what they did is just something else and I don't have to feel connected to them you know all yeah, 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 yeah. over that yeah, but exactly. then when you go and work on someone else's property you know does that experience then sort of free you and you you don't feel as I don't know bound um I mean if I if I work on someone else's film so I'm sort of servicing like you if know if you're working on their film or even working on someone else's property like you sort of accept that when it goes into someone else's hands it's a little bit different so you know in learning to accept that what they did with the losers was not what you guys had done has it made it easier for you in dealing with other people's things where you don't feel that you're you have to be held to exactly what they did previously. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, again, like I said earlier, I've been very lucky that, I've, that I feel like I've kind of sort of gone my own way, really, and you know, I've very quickly learned that if you think about how you should do something, it's going to it's going to fail. You know, just do whatever it is you can bring to it. You know, you know, it's very easy. Like, yeah, you know, when I first got my my first job for DC was Hellblazer, and that was my favourite comic at the time, and. and when I first put the bit of DC board on, on, on my drawing boards, mm-hmm. you know, that you know, it, was like, it was blank and that DC comics at the front and at the top, and that was, that was the moment where I was where you meet you think, you know, okay, you know, this is my turn now, what, what am I going to do, and should I do it like this? You know, and mm-hmm. the minute your brain starts doing that, you've kind of lost it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I've spent my entire career trying to rid myself of that kind of worry and concern, you know, and just... So I guess, but when, when you're working on the film, you've got to be aware of what's appropriate for the film. But I still think that what will make good work for the film is that you bring in whatever it is you have to offer to it. If, mm. if that makes sense, you know. Um, does that make sense? Does that it make it does. Yeah. Now, and I mean, you've done a lot of work on film now. Did that begin with the Losers film? Like, yeah, did it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I, I met um, Peter Berg, who was the original writer, director of the Losers, and then. Um, he didn't end up directing the film, but then when he went on to do other films, he gave me a call and asked me to do bits of artworks, like a little question for Hancock. And then I heard he was working on Dune, um, and uh, he just said, Do you want to do some concept work? And I was just like, Yes. That was the first time I've ever even attempted painting to be in concept work, but I did six weeks on that. And um, apologies if some of you heard this story, but. Uh, I'd just come off doing Dune and I read a news article saying the Dread movie was going to be greenlit. Mm-hmm. Well, not greenlit, but that it was in active, active, you know, kind of development. And because I'd just been doing movie concept work, um, I did three pieces of art for fun. You know, just, just, I was just in that mode and I heard they make a Dread movie. And I, I put one of them online, I think it's on this somewhere actually, I'll show you the one when it comes up. Um, there it is, time. <laughs> uh, um, I put that online. And um, this was uh, back in the day when, uh, before storage that <laughs> we have now, you know, you, I used to keep images on a, on a, like a, in a directory, not online, mm-hmm. you know. And if you have like dread one dot JPEG, you know, you learn that if you could, if you change the number one to number two, there might be another image in that person's directory. You know, yeah. they've not, yeah. they've maybe not put it online, but anyway, someone, well, io9 the website io9 found the three images. And, put them up on as a new story saying official artwork for the new drag movie and I was just like 
<laughs> oh my god, and I phoned Jason Kimsey then two days later and I said, This wasn't me. I you know and so I, so I take them down, of course by that point it's too late. And then that news story got picked up by every news site, you know, Ain't It Cool mm-hmm. slash film, just you know, everywhere. They're still online, you search dread concept art, you'll see all those all those things. So I was horrified, I was completely horrified that it's like that is not okay. Um and then I got an email from one of the dread producers saying, um, can you give us a call please? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is horrible. And I called him and I said, and I said, well, I, the first thing I said to him was like, you know, I tried to explain myself. And he goes, don't worry, you know, we saw the images, um, we liked them, do you want to come up for an interview? And it was like, you know, kind of went up and met them and, and ended up being the lead concept artist on the film. So mm. there you go. Can you tell us what that interview is like? Because, you know, doing comics, it would be, you know, you just get off with a new gig or whatever, and suddenly this is sort of a whole other thing, really, that you're actually doing an interview for it. Well, yeah, I mean, well, as I say to you, it was a meeting, you know. Um, uh, so that image, Alex Garland, who was the writer and sort of the lead creative force, really, of that, of that film, um, he liked the way that I handled the light in the image. That's that's what he said. That's, that's what he liked. Um, and they were interested in trying to make the script into a comic. So that's what I actually went up to have a, a meeting about. Um, but yeah, it's my first, even though I'd, you know, the losers have happened this is the first time that I've been independently going to work on a film, someone else's film. And, uh, yeah, so I go into DNA offices and they do that 28 days later and asking of Scotland and, you know, there's just posters everywhere and it definitely felt a bit like, you know, crikey, you know. Yeah. And then they take me into a little room and Alex comes in and I meet him, say hello, and, and um, he gives me the script and I'm not allowed to take it away so he goes, can you read that and we'll be back in two hours. So I had to, like, sit there in a little room surrounded by all these, you know, awesome UK films that they've made with a script of dread, you know, right. and read it, you know, and try and keep myself keep my keep my stuff together to read it and you know and have an honest opinion about it and everything else. So yeah, they came back in a couple of hours later and was like, what do you think? You know, and it was sort of like being thrown into the deep end really at that point. It's like, you know, what do you do? You, you, and of course you just react honestly, I guess, was uh, seems to be a theme or something. And you know, and we chatted about it and ended up staying there for two or three hours after that. They ended up giving me the script to take away because they they were kind of yeah, they, they were happy with, you know, with how the meeting went. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I ended up, yeah, so I did just, I laid out all the script and ended up doing um, a lot more painted stuff and, and environment stuff and concept work for the costume and all sorts. So. Obviously, that's a, a different sort of way for you to pick up one of these jobs in that you've just done these pictures yourself, put them online, and then suddenly you get. Become this story and, and you get the job. Yeah, yeah, um, so it's, it's not the normal way. But you were saying before that you know you have to assume or remember that people are hiring you because of what you can bring to something. Is is that the case for you now with your film work? Like when you get offered these jobs, is it that they're going Jock can bring something special to this? So not that you've just got a good CV for that, but actually you can bring something unique to it? Um, I think it's sort of about relationships, really. You know, I've since worked with Alex on uh, two films since then, mm. uh, Ex and his a new film he's working on. I did a bit of work with him on. Um, I mean, I, I can't... I don't know. I, I, you know I, I can't really answer that. I don't know what people think of what I do. You know, I, 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 I don't know whether... They see me as an asset, or whether they just—I don't, I don't know. Well, I guess are you kind of given the freedom to do those creative things that, that you do, yes, as, as opposed to being just given a structure and essentially it could be anyone doing this. Oh, sure, yeah, not bringing okay. your flavour. Well, um, I would hope they were hiring me because they were interested in what I might bring to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I found those as well as I've done bigger and bigger stuff. Actually, the creative freedom. No, this might this this. You wouldn't think this. Generally, the creative freedom gets more and more and more. You know, but, yeah. um, it was the tiny little commissions I got starting out where people really tried to say, "Oh, can you make it a bit more like this? Or can you do it a bit more like this?" And then the higher up I've gone, and I came from 2008 then up to DC. My editors at DC, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is kind of 
this is easy. This is kind of like, you know, they're very relaxed, very easygoing. They trust you to do whatever it is you're going to do. And, you know, um, so, and same with films, you know, huge budget films. But yeah, maybe then they hire you because they res- they're respecting you and you're, you know, occupying a valid position in the, in the kind of, you know, in the job. And, yeah. and then they let you do what you do, you know, so, um, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they do. I, you know, I, I'm very, I, I find it hard to sort of try to get a hook on what um, what people think of my work. You know, I'm yeah. quite self-effacing about it. I don't like it. You know, I, I don't know what people think of my stuff, but maybe I, I would hope that they would hire me because they love what I did. Yeah. Well, and the other thing you mentioned is obviously aside from what you bring to it, it, it is relationships and that sort of thing. Do you find it really? Um, Yes, in engaging and rewarding to keep working with the same people because yeah, there's, there's definitely a yeah that that, that, just, that suits me. I don't think everyone's like this, but I, I I tend to make friends of people that I work with, sort of thing, and I just prefer it like that. It just makes more sense to me that if you're closer to someone, particularly with comics, you're going to be more in tune with with them, and um, you know your scripts and the art. I hope you're going to mesh better because. You know, I, I'm. You know, I sort of. I know Scott very well, so I know sort of where he's coming from, and I know when he writes something, sort of where, you know, what place that comes from. Mm. So you know, so we were talking earlier how kind of there's a kind of well, there's, like any relationship, there's a bit of trust there, you know. Um, so uh, I think that's bound to help, you know. But I also know people that have never spoken to people that they've, you know, writers that they've, that they've worked. Yeah. With. I've, I've been very lucky. I've worked with just a handful of writers, really, but they've all been brilliant. You know, Mike Carey, Scott Snyder, Andy Diggle, uh, Jason Aaron, you know, Greg Roker. They're, uh, you know, I'm very lucky. Um, uh, actually, Greg's the only one that I've not spoken to, but I just did three issues with him. That's my excuse. Um, no, yeah, I feel, yeah, it just makes sense to me. That, yeah. Because I, I don't, I think because it's a vocation, you know, because to me, the arts are what I want to do anyway. It doesn't feel like... Um, a jo- well, I don't think you should feel like a job, really. I think my best stuff comes from them. I just feel like I'm, it's like a hobby or, a, or I'm enjoying myself. Mm. You know, so, uh, so uh, you know, having good relationships with people, you know, you just feel like you're doing it together and, and you, you know, just, you know, it's, it's more rewarding, I think, in that way. We started talking about the Dread film before and, you know, the, the great story about how you ended up doing that. But, um, how different was it to the comics? Because you'd obviously drawn Dread for the comics, and we were even talking about the Losers film and how, you know, by virtue often the, the film version of the, the comic needs to be different. There has to be changes, whether it be just someone wants to put their stamp on it or it's not going to translate to the screen in the same way as it did as a comic. Yeah. What changes did you have to make with, with Dread? Like, how did you have to change your approach to, you know, so that it would be something that translates to the screen as opposed to the comic? Um, massively, actually, with Dread. Mm. Um, Alex Garland had a very specific idea about what the film was going to be, and as much as you know, Dread the comic has been a comedy and an action, for action story, a thriller and a horror, and you know, anything and everything. So for a film you have to you know, choose one direct kind of tone or route and stick to it. You know, so, so um, you know, they, they were very specific about you know, no flying cars, no robots, you know, no zaniness, you know, not really comedy, um, which Megacity 1 in the comic has, has quite a lot of. Um, it was about trying to create a believable, convincing future, you know, that if, if this world went a certain way, then this is how things could, could end up. Um, and I've not drawn any Dread comics since since then, but I would do them differently now for sure because I completely I just had to rethink, I had to reset, you know, to, to work on the Dread movie. You know, it was a very different thing to the comic, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, I, I was going to ask as to how much your film work and experience and the the learning curve there impacted then back on your comics work, like you know, in in terms of. There are things you can do in comics that you can't do in film, but just thinking of them as, as bigger properties, do you approach your comics work differently? Uh, only in as much as 
Alex is a very smart person and writer and you know director now um, and it was hugely challenging doing something for him that kind of stood up to where he was at with the material you know mm-hmm. I had to really think about what I was doing with comics there's, there's always an element of churning them out you know that sounds really bad but they, that is, I don't mean that in a, in a throwaway manner I just mean the reality of churning out page after page after page means that you rely on certain cliches or certain like if you're drawing a dread thing you just you know very you know you, there's lots of things you can draw or if you, you know it doesn't just apply to comics you know um, with a dread movie for example you know it's a sci-fi movie but like one of the rules is no hexagonal corridors you know it's like that's a really, you know, sort of throwaway thing to say. But if you think about that for a second, it's like, you know, it's, it's very easy for your brain to go, okay, it's set in the future, something like hexagonal corridors or you know, rounded doorways or something. And it's just like, why do you think that? Like, what? Why? It's because of all the imagery that we've been fed, you know, over the years. Yeah. And Alex didn't want. Uh, if if it wasn't uh, believable, if it wasn't. Tangible than 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 they didn't want it. You know? Didn't want gas masks and backpacks for the sake of someone wearing a gas mask and a backpack because it's the future, you know. Yeah. It, so that that was really challenging. Like in the comic, I would probably pop someone with a gas mask on, you know, just for a bit of visual kind of you know right. sort of okay. noise or interest or whatever. But with with the film, it was uh, it was uh, you know it, it made me consider. Those choices that I maybe made more kind of instinct, you know, more just kind of yes. off the cuff. So, so I think that has to feed back in, into any work. You know, just, I just, you know, just made me think about what I was doing more, which is always a good thing. I think. So, will you still throw in those characters with the gas mask or whatever because it's it's cool at the time, or <coughs> uh, I, I don't need to do that. It, it, well, I've not, I haven't, yeah, I've not drawn dread since, but I would, I would definitely do it differently. Yeah. Mm. Well, what about the other comic scenes? I mean, even like if we talk about witches, you were saying that that has been option for a film mm-hmm. now. Um, do you ever approach it now, knowing that that's a possibility, and therefore, no, no, e- e- I even more hold on to not doing that. I even more, the fact that I'm aware that it's going to be seen, seen by producers and viewed as a property and. and makes me even more determined just to make the comic as good as it can be mm. and that's all I'm going to worry about because actually you find that you know the reason they like it in the first place is because you're doing that if you start trying to pander to things you know like you know the way you draw if you're suddenly got a DC page you know a bit of paper on your drawing board it's just not going to work you know it's not going to be you're not you know you're not being honest anymore you're Using that word, sorry. Uh, you know, you, you you're kind of you're telling yourself to go down a certain route, and I don't think that really works with creative work. I think the best work, personally, that you can do is is if you're just uh, you know, not thinking about that stuff. So the fact that the witches movie is in development makes me even more determined to ignore that side. But even though I'm working yeah. on it, that's got nothing to do with the comic. Is this sort of that freeing aspect we were discussing before, like? You know, once you accept that the comic and the film don't have to be the same yeah, thing, yeah. then you can make them the best version of what they need to be for that sure. medium. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not precious about the film, particularly at the moment. Um, I've had very little input on it, though. It's still in very early draft stages of writing, so I'm sure as, as the work wraps up, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be more invested in it. But right now, it just seems like a sort of you know, separate thing. Mm. How do you actually switch between these different things you do? Because you're doing covers, you're doing posters, you're doing sequentials on witches, you're doing storyboards and, and concept work. You know, there's, there's so many different things that you have. Are you sort of blown to and fro by just deadlines and when stuff needs to be done? Or is it, a, you know, are you free to choose? How do you switch between these, these different uh, styles? Yeah, I... I feel very lucky. I'm free to choose. Basically, I'll only do comics that I want to do, and you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel very, very lucky. I can, I can just pick and choose these things, and, and yeah. you know, then, and then 
if I'm choosing them, then I'm into them, and then I don't think about the approach and just work on something that I'm into. Well, even can you sort of <coughs> pick up and do something like, let's say, okay, tomorrow you're going to be here signing uh, with Andy Diggle, I think, in the morning. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a plug there for you. <laughs> but, um, you know, were you just say at home? Could you wake up tomorrow and be like, all right, I feel like drawing some sequentials today. Scott's got a script there for me. I'm going to start just drawing some witches. Or is it more... Do you know what this poster needs to be done for this criterion cover or whatever I have to do? It, yeah, it does. In reality, it tends to be the latter. The, the, uh, oh, shit, the deadline's approaching. I need to do this now, to be honest. Right. So there's, there's freedom to take on the projects you want, but not necessarily in the order that you want them. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not in agreement. If we can talk just a little bit about what you're doing at the moment, do you want to tell us what you're currently working on? I can't. Well, yeah, I'm, on, I'm working on Star Wars 8 at the moment at Piper Studios, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, but that's pretty much all I can say about it. Yeah. That's, that's what, what I wanted to ask, just in terms of not that specifically, but if you have a project like this, I guess even it would have applied to Dread, you know, where it's something that you are a fan of. I, I presume that you're doing Star Wars because you like it. Yes. <laughs> Entirely. Yes. Um, you know, there's there's got to be that fine balance between you're, you're bringing Jock to it, you're bringing that unique thing that you do, um, but you are also sort of paying respect to what has come before and wanting it to fit seamlessly within. Like, they've obviously brought you in because you're going to bring a unique take, but you need to tailor it to what has come before. How do you sort of juggle that in terms of being respectful and yet not so much that it hinders your own creativity? Um, uh, I can't say anything. But like, even if I like, like say about my approach to it then that can be construed and taken out of context it's, it sounds really lame but it's it's kind of true um, we've had like security meetings and all sorts kinds of stuff um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, okay I guess what can, can we relate it to directly yeah so we're talking about the, the theoretical approach not actually sure. No, I know. I know but, but if you ask me that question about about what I'm working on now, then obviously my answers are going to relate to kind of where I'm at now. Right. I just I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. It's, I know it's, 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 it's there, but it's something, unfortunately, the culture we currently live in, and, you know, no. as a journalist here, then, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm really looking forward to the Jar Jar Binks. I, I am. Thanks, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not even going to know. I'm not even going to know. <laughs> 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 Don't draw me in. Just say something and then... Yeah. What? Okay. How about this then? If, if we want to actually say anything about Star Wars, Star Wars, what did it mean to you? Like, what, what's your sort of level of fandom? When did you get into it? And, and what does it mean? Uh, yeah, I, I love Star Wars. I mean... You know, uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see it in the cinema until Return of the Jedi. Actually, so I was quite late to it. I didn't have any Star Wars toys, but um, you know, it's sort of yeah, teenage years, wanting to draw comics, being in sci-fi and horror, and you know, Star Wars was was a massive part of that. A huge part of you know, being inspired by other worlds, believable other worlds, and you know, you know, you know everyone loves Star Wars, don't they? Thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah, yeah, it really is. Now, I want to open up for some questions yeah, from you guys yeah, yeah. in just a moment. There's two quick things I wanted to ask that uh, I, I've never got to. Which, first of all, how did you end up being called Jock? You yes. know, it's uh, it's just like Madonna, but it's Jock. <laughs> worse. Um, it, uh, it's just a nickname that stuck. And when I first started drawing, I'd sign my nickname and then start going to conventions and. Every editor would go, oh, Jock, I remember you. And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe that's something you know, working. But um, now when I see it on books, I occasionally think, you know, should have it was my real name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of, I, I had this conversation with my agent when we were doing the Witches movie, actually. I said, can I, can I have my real name on, 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 on the 
credits, and she was like, why would you do that? And I said, well, you know, because it's my name. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she sort of said, well, you know, if, it, if it's working, it's working. So I just, I, I've, I try and not think about it anymore. It's just, it's just a nickname that's stuck, and that's, that's, yeah. that's it. I mean, everyone calls me, it's not just, you know, it's like no. no one actually calls me Mark, you know. Um, so it just is what it is. Yeah. Uh, where did the nickname come from, though? What was the actual origin of it? That's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Okay. The other thing I was curious about, and there's probably some answer that everyone knows or something, but I have no idea. What's with the 420? Yeah. So, I didn't know. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that 420 in America is code for smoking loads of weed. Um, did you know that? No. Oh, I, no. Thought, I thought that was the relevance of your yeah. question. No, no. It's the name of my company. I, I, I'm a limited company and Jock wasn't available. And so I, I called it 420, which was me when I was younger. I a gang of friends that had this thing for 420, just a personal sort of thing. But it, 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 it meant like a positive, inspiring thing. So I just called my okay. company that. And then when I went on Twitter, job wasn't available, so I put job 420 because that's the name of my company. That's all. That's all it was. But yeah, in America, 420 is, is code for let's smoke a blunt or something, you know. So um, everyone in America thinks I'm a massive stoner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we're going to Yeah, no, I have There's no always someone that's like, do you want to? Do you want to? Let's go do this paddle right now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we happen to have any Australians in the audience? Nah, that's okay, it's just me. But uh, in Australia, 4 and 20 is a brand of meat pie. Is it? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. So, it thinks you really like pies, uh, which obviously you eat a lot of after you stone. When, um, when, uh, when I was first setting up my website as well, which is 420, I first looked for jock.com and that. That, that, that hyperlink to homosexual.net and then I thought 420.com and that was like a, a marijuana ring of websites and I was just like this is this is a nightmare <laughs> not that I both those things are brilliant don't get me wrong <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean yeah now do we have any questions from you guys I'm, no doubt we do someone I'm, I'm I'll you know. yeah you can't talk about this, I apologise, but you mentioned June before. Yeah. Um, what That's was okay. that? What's going to happen there? Uh, yeah, um, Frank Herbert's June, I'm sure you're all aware. Peter Berg was, was going uh, was, was to make a film of it, basically, is the short answer. That's an obvious thing to say. But yeah, no, it's, um, he was, uh, it was all happening. He's very determined. Um, he wanted to make it... Uh, Funnily enough, more like a sort of Star Wars, more, uh, it was going to be a big budget, you know, Hollywood production. Um, um, and it just kind of, I don't know, if there's so many, it's happened so often with films, it just kind of sort of withered away, really. It went briefly from Pete to Pierre Morel, the French director, he had it for a while, and then um, Universal lost the rights, and that was that, you know, it was kind of done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The work I did for it is online. If you, if you want to have a search, there's a few worms, a few fremen, a few bits and pieces. Yeah. Had you read any fat? No, I have not read it, but I immediately did as soon as I was working on it. So, which was interesting in itself, actually, because yeah, normally, you know. Um, um, it's always nice to work on something that you are a fan of, but I think there's also, also, also something to be said for coming something fresh, you know, and not having the kind of, you know, the baggage maybe of kind of being a fan of it. So, um, no, I was completely fresh to it. But Pete wanted something different as well, like the worms were, you know, mammoth, huge, smooth creatures. They were all kind of, you know, we figured if they had to break through rock and underground and sand, they're going to be all gnarly and... He had the idea of them having appendages for a while, and we eventually came back to a more traditional-looking worm. But you sometimes just have to go through all this stuff to kind of work out why something works. You know? So there's some different ideas in there. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about relationships and uh, the people that you've uh, 
worked on being commissioned by. Yeah. And also you're talking about the, the kind of freedom to do your own kind of bits and pieces mm -hmm. and your relationship with Mondo Posters. Mm -hmm. um, how does that kind of work? Is it a case of you approach them with, I want to do this poster of this particular film or do they kind of go, I'd like to work with John? Um, do you guys know Mondo, by the way? Mondo are a company, an American company that make, well, they started out making uh, um, movie posters for cult films for screenings at the Alamo Draft House, which is a famous uh, theatre in, in Austin. Um, and it grew and grew to the point now where they, they do official screen prints and posters for all kinds of films and movies, uh, just in case no one knows who Mondo are. Um, uh, I, I got in touch with them through Ollie Moss, actually. Ollie is, is, is a friend of mine, and, and um, he suggested me to them. You know, um, but I have a really good relationship with them, with them now. I mean, it's, I love those guys. And uh, it's more about what would you like to do? do, do we have the license for it, kind of thing. And actually, can I just say as well, they're um, Mondo uh, uh, moving into publishing um, ne next year, and their first book is going to be um, our book of mine. So um, I'm massively excited about that. They're, they're, um, they're, the stuff they do is beautiful. They're, 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 um, they're uh, you know, the quality of what they do is amazing, so we've got really um, amazing ideas for the book, and I'm hugely proud to tell you that their first book is going to be um, my work, so look out for it next year. Will the Bruce Lee painting be in there? I think it should be in there. <laughs> Don't you? I think it should, I, I think I think so. it should be in there. Yeah. And the Adamant. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Definitely. That would be fantastic. Now, we are getting short on time, so I have room for one last question if anybody has something burning. Yes, just there. Well, it would be Vader, wouldn't it, really? Because he'd be able to go choo -choo and take Dred's gun and force choke him or something. You know? <laughs> Boring answer, sorry. <laughs> I'd rather see like Fist of dread, but going through dark. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. be good. That would be good. Like just catch him when he's unaware on the toilet or something. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see this coming, Creek. <laughs> Force is strong with this one. <laughs> well, that is a fun note to end on. So thank you for that wonderful ending question, and thank you guys for joining us here today. Thank you all so much for coming. To this.